How does he do it? How does he do it? How does he do it? I don't know. I mean, for, for many of us, I, we'd have to do a poll. Like, how many of you are content to not know and to just be amazed and just wonder how in the world he does it? And then the rest of us are going through all the scenarios in our minds. Like, if we could just dissect and cut that felt board apart a few different ways and, or peel back the layers of it, maybe we'd figure out how in the world he does it. And I, I, I feel like for many of us, once we know the truth, because we've seen tricks like this performed, I like the movie Prestige, the Prestige, and I won't spoil the movie um, because it's full of twists and turns and mystery and it's these old school like tricks we've seen over and over and over again the late 1800s the early 1900s there's this trick called the disappearing man where there's a little closet with a door facing out there and then there's another door that's a little closet facing out there and it doesn't appear to be any secret passageway in between and the guy goes in the one door he bounces a ball that by the time he gets to the other door, he steps out, same guy, and catches the ball. And it's like, how? How does he do it? And then when you find out, it's like, oh, that's not real glamorous. It's like mystery revealed, and it's not that exciting. And the reason I bring up the, these examples for us to have a little fun, and the question that hangs behind these kinds of tricks is the question, is mystery real? Is mystery real is the question. And I think more and more people in our culture are growing up answering no to the question, is mystery real? Is there something beyond this matter that, that, that we can see with our senses? And there's a line in the movie that I just referenced where, where he's looking at, one of the magicians is looking at this old guy that he's looked at his whole life, and he said, you know, what he's doing, and he's examining a secret to one of the tricks. He's like, this, this is all to escape this. And he knocks on just a piece of wood as if the assumption is, again, this is all there is. And men, we've talked about this a little bit before. We've seen a lot of the statistics of the rising population of the nuns and the duns, the people that, that have, no, have no concept, have no uh, reason to think that the world is more than this. And the folks who have had maybe a taste of this and for whatever reason have left that those numbers are growing. And so the personal subjective experience of folks is all that they have as a toolkit to try to make sense of reality. And, and if that's the case, then the subjective experience of folks differs widely. <laughs> and depending on the sources of influence, um, we, we see the way in which conflict and hostility and war is still pervasive in our world. We see the, if, if, if the sub subjective personal experience is the framework by which we understand reality, how hard that is for some people because of what they've experienced. Because, they're, because of who their parents have been, they haven't been the kind of parents that some of us have been blessed with, you know, and we see the way in which we understand and take in the news and reality through our various screens and through our various forms of media that there are a lot of minority reports within the church that are headlines and the good, beautiful work in the church that happens day in and day out goes unreported. 
And so we can see all kinds of reasons that, that why people may have this perspective and may have this worldview that there's really nothing beyond this. We're getting better and better and better at seeing in the expanses of the universe farther than we ever had. What used to be questions are now answers. And even something that appears to be mysterious in life, we're getting better and better. Time will tell and we'll figure it all out eventually. We're getting better at seeing the smallness of reality. So there's this heightened trust and there's this heightened belief, I think, growing amongst our culture and even, I think, in other culture, cultures in other countries that this, this material stuff, it's just all cells, atoms, hormones, and self-interest. And as we continue our series in Ephesians... We're going to continue where we left off last week. We were at the first few verses in chapter 2 last week. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22 this week. And Paul is going to talk about how not only is there mystery, like this is a spiritual world that we live in, there's so much beyond just the physical tangibleness. There is mystery not only is there mystery, but Paul is going to say now, this mystery is being made known. So let's start looking at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you were, you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So Paul is, is really speaking to people who have, who have been in a situation where they've been separate from God and have had big questions and, and, and may have looked at this world and found it wanting and not finding meaning and not finding purpose and has said, you know, you were once in a hopeless situation. <laughs> And there are many people who, who experience this, who feel this way, that there is no silver lining. And Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus and he's saying, you know, there was once a time where you were far. There was once a time where it didn't look like you had a future. And he's speaking to that and he's referring to something specific here, the circumcision. So, so in, in the church, the, the church in Ephesus is primarily Gentile Christians, Right? And there's this big controversy um, in the early church about how the Gentiles were going to be incorporated into the faith. And so there was this division and there was this hostility even in the church. And I hate to say that, that some of us have been in churches and have experienced the church more, that, that was characterized more by conflict and hostility than by peace and by unity. And, and Paul is saying there was, there was this hostility that, that he keeps going in and out of churches and in and out of different communities and seeing this happen. And it's because of the way in which Jewish Christians still believed there were certain regulations and ways in which they had to live into the old law. And, and Paul is saying that is no more. But there are these questions that are hanging in the, in the background that Paul is addressing too and speaking about this distance and this separateness from the covenant and the promises of God. And if you remember the covenant to Abraham, that Abraham through Abraham and his descendants that would be as vast as the sands, 
that by Abraham, there would be this blessing to the whole world, to all nations. And from the perspectives perspective of those who aren't Israel. It's kind of a bleak reality when we think about the Old Testament and that Israel more often than not is unfaithful and more often disobedient than they are obedient. So if, if hanging on the nations being blessed is, is Israel, man, the, the future looks bleak, but now, right? But now is the turn in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in was his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit Consequently, you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this message, this message is a mystery that has now been made known to the world. It's a revelation greater than anything we could have hoped for because of how undeserving of its promise we are. And this revelation has been kept hidden until now. There are hints and there are signs, but, but we can't see this mystery revealed um, um, in the patterns of history. We can't see this mystery revealed just in, in, by looking at science and, and our natural world. We can't see this mystery being revealed in the subjective personal experience of ourselves. In any one of those things, we can't see it just there if that's, if that's the only lens that we have. But it's the revelation, it's the revelation that is given, not even to generations prior to Paul, but now, Paul says, now, now this mystery is being made known. You know, for many of us who have favorite stories and favorite mysteries, whether it's a movie or a show or, or a book, when you go back and you see it or you read it a second or a third time, you know how you see what you didn't see before? Like you, you know the turn, you know the end, you know the climax. So now in the second and third time through, you're starting to see little hints and little signs all along the way that you couldn't see before because you didn't know the truth. You didn't know what the revelation was. You didn't know where to look. And that's how it is in scripture and the way in which this unfolds. Remember when we talked about the Gibeonites? You remember 
the, the faithfulness of Rahab or Nineveh. If you remember the story of Jonah in Nineveh and the salvation of Nineveh, like all along the way, now in light of Christ, we can see these signs and these hints all along the way. But the fullness of this mystery that's being revealed was kept hidden until now. And the way God communicates is not through a mask. It isn't indirectly. He comes, Jesus is the word of God in the flesh. He comes to us face to face and speaks directly. And I love how there's this section of the catechism of the Catholic Church that says this about Scripture that I think is really beautifully said, and catechism is just a fancy word for teaching, it says this, the inspired books, speaking of Scripture, the inspired books teach the truth. Since therefore all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided in the sacred Scriptures." Still, the Christian faith is not a religion of the book. Christianity is the religion of the word of God, a word which is not a written and mute word. I love that. But the word is incarnate and living. If the scriptures are not to remain a dead letter, Christ, the eternal word of the living God, must through the Holy Spirit open our minds to understand the scripture. And Paul, you might wonder where the authority of Paul comes from. Paul isn't one of those early, early disciples. He's not one of the 12. And this is an issue Paul is constantly dealing with, with the people that he meets. It's like, you weren't with Jesus. You weren't one of the eyewitnesses. But Paul has has that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. There's this direct revelation that is the source and not human origin. And that's important for us to understand in all of this. So what is the mystery? What is the mystery that's being revealed for us, for this world that we live in, that we look around and we, we see the devil getting his due. We see division and we see hostility so often. We see all of that. What is this mystery that's being revealed? Because in this beautiful passage is this promise of unity. And yet so often that is the, the last word we could say to characterize our world. And, and I, I hate to say it, but even sometimes in our churches. So often what brings us together is conflict. So often what brings us together is to have a common enemy. And we've seen that throughout our own history, whether it was the, the world wars, and I'm not making a value judgment here, just observing history. And we think about the way in which our, our country and our communities came together in the wake of 9-11 to defend our loved ones. We had a sense of revenge and a sense of justice that we were all united together to move forward because of the horrific evil that had taken place. In World War I, Congress voted in an overwhelming way after, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Every member of Congress but one voted for us to enter into that campaign. And I bring these, I bring these episodes of history up just to say that more often in our world, we're united by conflict. We're united in that way. And that's unfortunately characterizing our world. And, and, but the beauty and the truth of the revelation here 
and who we are called to be is so different. Because what, what Paul says to us here is, is for the church, Christ, Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. This dividing wall of hostility and the chaos that we create and the chaos that still characterizes so much of our world and the confusion, Christ came to eliminate and tear down the barrier that we have built up between us. And that this peace is so much more than just an absence of conflict, but it's the shalom of God. It's a completeness. It's a harmony. It's a wholeness. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean sameness, that we're all supposed to be isolated in an echo chamber and, and we, we stay apart. But, but Christ in our peace means we come together and we're united in our perspective, in our uniqueness as we are drawn together as a diverse body with many gifts, but united in Christ for one purpose because he is one, we have one mission. And as a consequence of the, of the cross of Christ, a new humanity is created. And Paul is speaking about the big picture, about this cosmicness of, of how Christ through the church is reconciling all things in the bigness of that and what Jesus is doing. We can't miss the work he has to do in us and between us. That the big grand mystery that Jesus is working out through the church that requires work that we have to do internally, personally, and it requires work that we have to do in terms of reconciliation, in terms of forgiveness. So to answer this, this question that's hanging, because Paul, Paul will bring up the word stranger and foreigner. And of course, within the body of Christ, these words no longer apply to those who have committed and pledged their allegiance to Jesus. These words don't belong in the church between the family of God, foreigner and stranger, which they did for a long time. Again, because people were bringing their experience and their cultures and their customs and they were, they were un, they understood that the law was binding. The law was part of God's word. And so there was this understanding that needed to grow in the mystery of, of this mystery that's being made known that, that no longer are there foreigners and strangers because the law has been fulfilled. The old covenant has gone and now there is a new covenant covenant. And Paul is saying here, like he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 29, in this commenting on how there's no more foreigners, there's no more strangers in the body, Paul will also say it this way, that so in Christ Jesus you are children of God through faith. For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile anymore, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's, Abraham's seed and heirs 
according to the promise. So the word foreigner and stranger, they don't have meaning inside the church and they don't help us. They don't have any practical use for us as we even think of those who are outside the church because you might ask the question, well, is, do those words have, have any meaning anymore? Does, does the cross of Christ, does the sacrifice that he made just automatically seal everybody into the kingdom? And to answer that question, we have to look at who Paul is talking to. Because who Paul is talking to at the beginning of Ephesians, it's to God's holy people in, in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's accepting, he's, he's speaking to the church who have accepted the lordship of Christ and are doing what they can to repent and move forward into the light of the mystery that's being revealed. And so the, the words foreigner and the words stranger they still have some meaning to the, to the sense that we all have to be responsible to God. We all have to say, yes, our freedom really matters and that there are choices and decisions we have to make, right? But practically, for the mission of the church, these, these words, these words don't help us because they can kill our motivation to show the incomparable riches of God's love and mercy for all people. That God's invitation what the mystery that is being made known means is that this invitation looked like for a while it was just to one subset of people. But this mystery that's being made known is actually an invitation to everyone that God's grace and mercy is available for all. And that is a big and a beautiful revelation that we have been given to be good stewards of to minister to those who still find themselves far, who still find themselves wayward and lost and confused by the world that they experience because they don't have another source. And so often in the church, we haven't been the best example. So before we can faithfully minister, we have to make sure we have our house in order here at First Methodist Mansfield. We have to make sure that we love in such a way that we see others as friends instead of foreigners, that, that we love in such a way that we not only love our enemies, but we love in such a way that we don't see enemies anymore. Because I think sometimes when we, when we pray for our enemies, we're also praying to God that they stay our enemies. <laughs> I think still deep inside us, there's that hostility that we have to wrestle with. That though we are children of the promise, that our position before God has changed and we are part of the household of God, we still struggle. We still struggle with what to do. And sometimes forgiveness is hard and yet forgiveness is, is the power of Christ at work in us tearing down that hostility and the barriers between us that we have to learn to forgive even the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. In the it's a beautiful promise. It's an amazing promise that he is our peace. It's such good news. And that this mystery that is revealed to us, you know, it's still a great, great mystery. And many of us have more questions than answers when it comes to us. Like, why, why did this happen to my family? Or why did God choose to do it this way? 
And we have questions because it is a big, big mystery that we're a part of. But the mystery that has been made known is the part of the mystery, it's part of the story that matters the most. And so we've been given the good news so that we can know more of this mystery, so that you and I can see the end of the story, and so that others can see and become part of this beautiful ministry as they look at our lives and they they see the way in which that we are agents, that we are people of reconciliation, that we are people bringing the truth in love. Because our source and our foundation isn't ourselves. It isn't our own personal subjective experience. It It isn't the mess and the chaos of the world. But our source is the word, the word of God, the word made flesh who came to dwell among us, who came to defeat death in all his friends who fight to have the last word, who fight to influence. And so may we continue to understand that story and know that we are called to play a big part in that story to reveal the mystery of God's love that is available and offered to the world. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, for the way in which we put ourselves before others, that we put ourselves first, for the way in which we cause division and hostility, God, forgive us. Conflict is as certain as the air that we breathe. It is part of our walk each and every day that we can't ignore, that we have to deal with. And so, Lord, in the midst of conflict, help us not be timid. Help us not shy away, but God, help us be bold and speak your truth and love so that we continue to grow and be the people that you have called us to be to tear down walls, to help people know that regardless of their experience, regardless of how hard their life has been, that you love them. Help us be those kind of people. Help us be a transformative presence in the world so that people will see in us that there is another source, that this isn't all that there is, but that God, you are leading us and calling us to be a new creation, a new people. So Lord, let all that work continue in us and give us a clean heart in the midst of it and renew the joy of our salvation. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.